Hi, my name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pros and Content. This week, we have a really special episode featuring some of the best brands in the world talking about how they're responding in real time to the crisis that we're all living through. My friend Rachel Tipograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac, and I wanted to bring the community together to see how is everyone thinking about responding from an e-commerce standpoint, a content standpoint, a paid media standpoint, a comm standpoint, to really understand how are they dealing with the many challenges ahead. How are their industries and companies responding? And how is that impacting marketing across the board? I'm Rachel Tipograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. Micmac is an e-commerce marketing platform for multi-channel brands. As important, I'm friends with Anda Gonska, the CEO of Notch, and together we decided to create a forum for the top business executives to share how they're navigating COVID-19 from a leadership standpoint, marketing standpoint, e-commerce standpoint, and so much more. Give it a listen while we're all apart so we can come back stronger together upon return. This is crazy. We currently have 513 marketers on the line and it's growing. And this all started because two days ago, Onda called myself and said, I think we should do a webinar. I kind of said, what the fuck? And then I said, I think we should do a webinar. <laughs> and there is definitely more to the conversation uh, for everyone on the line. Anda and I, we run fast growing tech companies and like your business, we've had to reforecast our entire business in worst case and best case scenarios. And the two of us have been on the phone every single day, helping each other navigate this. And we wanted to create this forum because we realize that our industry is much larger than the two of us. And we have so much to learn from many of our esteemed guests. We've also been getting constant phone calls from clients and everyone is navigating the same problem, no matter what you're selling on the other side. So the purpose of today is for us to all learn together. So, uh, Anda, I know you've been getting phone calls from clients nonstop. I have a feeling a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're in the digital content game. But tell me what you're seeing on your side of the table right now. Well, first of all, just a couple of notes on how it's been to navigate the changing digital workspace. Um, I, I try to remind myself a lot of the things that I'm grateful for nowadays and one of the things I'm grateful for is that um, when you're in a technology company, you're already pretty used to being a digital and relatively remote workforce. And so switching the entire company to that almost two weeks ago was a big decision. And it's crazy to me to realize that back then I thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't. Like, maybe we're going to send the wrong signal if we do it. It felt too early. And then within 24 hours, it felt like the entire world had changed. Um, I thought productivity was going to go down. And in fact, we were just talking before everyone else joined that it's skyrocketed. Um, there's absolutely no more lines between life and work. And I think we all work harder because of it, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. So we're still trying to adjust to this new lifestyle. And then in terms of content and the role of content, um, 
it's been, first of all, it's been really sad to see a lot of the small businesses that we all love really suffer from all of this. Um, and so in a way, when Rachel and I were, were calling each other and talking to each other, we realized that we, we do such radically different things as technology companies, and we work with radically different industries and categories and, and marketers, but uh, both of our categories are growing massively at the moment. Um, and I'll let Rachel talk about e-commerce separately, but content is growing for two reasons. First, we've seen across the board, especially on the B2B front, marketers move their event marketing dollars into content. And it makes sense, right, in a world where we're all working from home, the only way to really break through the noise is to, one, create content that's of value, um, that doesn't just feel transactional, that it's actually trying to bring, build and bring some value. Um, and two, because it's a very complicated thing that's happening in the world right now. And complicated things usually get explained through content online. And so whether it's the communication teams or the marketing teams that are trying to understand how to craft a story to all their different stakeholders, whether that's, you know, the employee pool or the investors or the customers, content has been, has never been more important. So um, almost two weeks ago, again, we decided to announce that we are making the Notch platform free for all crisis comms. So um, a bunch of marketers, I mean, initially, honestly, we thought we would just put it out there and maybe at best it was going to be just something we, you know, we got brand love for, but in, in exchange, we got a, a massive influx of requests, both from current customers, as well as from just completely new companies that we've never talked to before. And so we've actually had to retrain the majority of our HR team and some of our marketing team to go support the customer team during this time. Um, and it's felt good, both for me and the team at Notch, to feel like we can do good during this time. Because, you know, if there's any silver lining to all of this is the fact that it's bringing us closer together and closer to our purpose as companies. So I, I've appreciated that. But those are some of the big changes we've seen. 80% of our customers are using us across all crisis comms. And it's been interesting to see the use cases and how they're using the platform to gain fast feedback from employees, from investors, from customers to create better content faster. Um, so that's been fascinating to see. And, you know, the rest, I don't know, you know, we'll see, we'll see how the world evolves, but I'm curious to hear from everyone um, in the co-hosting committee and very grateful to those who have taken the time to show up and have this conversation. So back to you, Rachel, tell us about your world. Yeah. Um, I mean, to echo a lot of your sentiment, it's a, it's a strange feeling to see the growth in the, in e-commerce the past few weeks um, because we know that there's uh, a lot of not great things happening on the other side. But that being said, Micmac, we're an e-commerce marketing platform. And I would say essentially since March 7th, we've seen 50 to 130% week over week organic e-commerce growth happen across food, Bev, spirits, uh, personal care, home care, where I've seen a change right now in the growth rates uh, is definitely in categories like beauty, luxury. Uh, I would say those categories have gotten hit harder a lot sooner because you know everything in China started in December. That being said, when you think about brands that have invested in e-commerce, they're often not the ones that you would say food, beverage, and spirits. Within those categories, historically, a senior leadership team would say, 
listen, Rachel, 97% of our revenue comes from brick and mortar. We're only seeing 3% of our overall revenue come from e-com. Now e-commerce has become the only channel within these categories. And I think the big thing that's on marketers' minds right now is how do we quickly build out an e-commerce foundation, an e-commerce marketing foundation, and how do we upskill our employees as fast as we can? And so the last three weeks, I've been on the phone with countless CMOs, essentially helping them build out, first and foremost, a multi-retailer digital storefront, because this isn't about D2C, this is about Amazon, this is about Target, this is about Walmart, Peapod, Kroger. You have people like Sephora and Ulta closing their doors. Then figuring out how do you take existing assets, because no one can do new content shoots right now, and optimize them for e-commerce. And then how do you have a team, whether it's internal or agency side, have hands on keyboard to be able to optimize all of this in real time? So I'm excited to hear from a lot of our clients and some new people today as well. Uh, but I would say that's what we're seeing is very quickly organic growth in categories that may not have really invested in e-commerce before, as well as categories that are now struggling um, because the items might have been luxury or relying on supply chains in China. So I know we've taken up a lot of space, Anda, and I want to hear from our guests. So I think what's best is probably to start there. So just to remind everyone of the rules of the road who've joined late, uh, we've asked some of our most favorite marketers, we have around 20 folks, uh, to talk with us today to understand how their companies are navigating COVID-19 right now. We're going to allow each of them to speak for five minutes. Anda and I are going to politely cut people off because we want to create space for everyone to speak. There's a Q&A button in this Zoom webinar. Please ask questions there. Um, we're going to take questions from the audience at, at the every half hour. And then at 5.30 till the end of the time, we're going to just go through all those questions as well. You can also introduce yourselves there. Uh, I'm getting text messages from some of my favorite people. I know that Gail Harwood, CMO of Kellogg's, is on the line, for example. So we really have an amazing group of people here. And if you ever need anything, you can always reach Onda and I via our respective websites or emails. It's Onda at notch.it and Rachel at micmac.tv. So Onda, I'm going to turn it over to you for our first guest. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate that. Um, so one of the really big um, conversations that I want to have and, and distinctions that I want us to make is also as we go through every guest, would love to hear your perspective from kind of a B2B side versus a B2C side. And I know that we all like to say this is, you know, B to human, but at the end of the day, would love to understand how, um, how these changes are impacting the different categories of spend and the ways we do marketing across those two different functions. So um, our first guest today is one of my favorite marketers, um, Gaby Boko. She uh, is from HPE and runs all digital for HPE. And so we would love to hear from you, Gaby. Tell us a bit about how are you thinking, obviously from a B2B perspective, um, about reallocating some of those dollars that I'm sure you, you now have from event marketing? Are you cutting costs across the board or are you just reallocating them into other channels to, to drive lead generation? It's a, it's a really great question. I am, I am just thrilled to be here. Um, it's, um, it's important not just to hear me say things, I think, but to also hear from everybody else. So thanks guys for pulling this together. Um, you know, I, I would say, 
two fronts on that. You know, for a company that's a really big company that focuses in on face-to-face events, um, and there's millions upon millions of dollars that go into face-to-face events. Um, for us in technology specifically, we're really focused in on saying how, how and when does a face-to-face event happen now? Um, not just trade shows, right? But even sales meetings, right? How do you engage with your customers differently? It's, um, there's a still a lot of face-to-face that happens in the sales process. So we're really looking at not just the marketing dollars that go in to generate um, what I would call attendance, Um, but really how those marketing dollars get distributed to reinforce a virtual virtual relationship now. That might mean um, giving more tools to our chat agents online, which is what we've already done immediately directed because we were getting tons of questions, not even about technology, just, hi, are you guys still open here? Hi, where is what's happening to my product, right? We just needed to really amp that up because people are living in a virtual world now. Um, and I and I think the other area that we really started to kind of not maybe stop event marketing, but really pivot towards how do we create that content in a virtual plane so that people can still expect, even if you don't go to a physical event, how do you still get access to that content or access to that salespeople? So really trying to employ what I would call more B2B measures more quickly, which we had already done. But maybe we just scaled them up, uh, um, you know, instead of 20%, we're now at 80% virtual versus versus 20. So that's that's the first move on events that I would say. That makes sense. And then in terms of how you're um, shifting the way you're thinking about marketing technology and in particular data, have you seen a shift there? Is it happening fast? And, and what's the evolution? Yeah, um, I, I actually think that uh, the one thing that I don't know if it surprised us, but I think it definitely... Um, resonated with us is that the the data profile didn't necessarily change. The ability to manage the computation, though, and the request for our skill set in managing data computation was enormous. Um, The requests and the participation that we as a company have decided to participate in for free um, to the research community um, using, you know, the big the big machines to compute the data for the coronavirus and uh, COVID-19, right? How do we find a cure? What kind of data do we need to process? So we definitely made a pivot there on the data side, the computational side, even on the modeling on the AI side. Um, And that's just from a company perspective. I think we thought that no one would come. It's not that we didn't think anyone would come asking, but we definitely weren't expecting how many people came asking. And so we're super happy to do it. And I think it really makes the company and the team members feel like their day job, right, becomes part of us trying to solve this as well. Um, But I think also the other thing that we've pivoted to is a little bit of a war room mentality, right? You know, if, if we were struggling with a single pane of glass reporting now, before this, now we're actually, you know, like no, no time to waste, right? What's happening? How do we share it? How do you act on it? How does everybody kind of get access? So the Freedom of Information Act, I'm going to call it, inside the company has really just kind of uh, started to break down the silos that were, were maybe slowing it down. So I like those two, ex- those two conversations around data because it's, it's uh, I think, the way the, the world is going to move. That sounds like a good silver lining. So thank you for sharing that. There's got to be one or two at least. Yeah. Well, I was going to say... Um, as, as you have seen the changes across your team over the last few weeks, what's, what's been one of the diffi- most difficult things and what's been one of the best things? 
Um, I'll start with the most difficult and I'll end on the positive because clearly I'm a silver lining kind of girl these days. Um, <laughs> difficulty has honestly, uh, and this is this is challenging, right? We had team members who said, oh, I just put off getting a new laptop or I put off, you know, installing Wi-Fi in my house or, you know, just little things because a lot of my team, the digital team is actually follow the sun kind of motions, right? So we have a lot of team members in Poland, in Guadalajara, in India, in uh, Osaka, uh, Japan. Um, and so a lot of them had just had, they were working out of an office, right? And they just forgot to upgrade their their lives. So we had a, a really big push over the last, over the weekend to get everybody up to speed. And that was a really great really great effort, but also really great to see that a company could say, okay, what do you need, right? Just we'll ship it to you, we'll get you installed. So that was good. Um, but I do think that the one thing that I really liked out of my team is that they came together. Um, the team actually in Spain came, started it, and they started something that they call HPE Masters, um, really where they started sharing in their, um, I mean, this morning there were five recipes for dinner, there were books to read for kids, they were um, you know, all the things that we're seeing everywhere else, but they're doing it for themselves as a community. And every time there's like a motion that says, this is what just my personal life, somebody said, hey, I was thinking, this got me to thinking we could do this at the company. So feeding their souls and their personals and their families is really kind of helping them be, you know, better at their job, um, which is already challenging enough. So those are my I like My that the lines. Thing. The lines are getting blurred between life and work, and that's that's actually potentially a good thing for for work. I don't for know, sure. it's a good thing for life, but it's a good thing for work at least. Yeah, and the per yeah, guys were were a little over time there, so I think yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Gaby. Um, Absolutely. Moving on to Lisa. So Lisa from Ford. Lisa runs all media for Hi. Ford. Um, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Obviously, your industry has seen um, all sorts of different challenges on the supply side, likely on the demand side as well. Um, wanted to hear from you, what are some of the, the kind of main things you're seeing across the board from, from a silver lining standpoint and a difficulty standpoint? And then I'll jump into the more marketing related questions as well. Sure. So, I mean, thank you very much, um, Anda, Rachel, for, for setting this up. It's, it's such a great thing to, to get a group of people together and talk about this. Um, really, really important and, and I think helpful for feeding all of our goals as well. Um, so in, in, in our world, right, what we're seeing is, um, I mean, we've been monitoring the situation across, um, across the globe and in all of our global markets. And I think that what I've observed in terms of kind of how, how the company kind of responds um, I'll just go right to the silver lining side. Ford does a really great job in being having very a very clear clarity of purpose in these types of situations. And I think it's because we can then go back to our foundational elements of who we are as a brand and a company. And at the core, we are, you know, an American family company. And so, and we've, we've, been through challenges through the years. That's what happens when you're over 100 years old, right? I mean, if we go back in time and think about, we built planes and tanks in World War II. I mean, this is just something that's part of kind of who we are and, and the DNA of us as a company. So with this, um, in this moment, right, um, we were, we were, you know, taking, we have, we have essentially war rooms, like what Katie was talking about, war room every day to talk about what's happening in the market. What are we seeing in terms of even if, if I focus in on what's happening in the U.S. across our regional teams, um, 
what's happening to demand, what, what's happening to conversation. Um, also very important for us um, as it relates to our dealer partners. Um, it's not just about Ford. It's about our dealer partners and how are they responding, reacting as, you know, um, shelter in place is, is, is happening. And, and when we think about the, the showroom dynamics, how are we putting plans in place to support them as well? Um, what I'm really, really proud of is that about, it was probably about mid last week, I think when a lot of us started to sense that the situation was starting to take that turn. And, you know, as, as more um, cases were being reported and, and different scenarios running through about what might happen, um, this was where, again, you get that moment, those moments of clarity. And we said, as excited as we are about the all new escape and the advertising that we launched with that, we were on the right on the precipice of launching our all new super duty campaign. We took that step back and said, is this really what we need to be saying right now? Um, and so we very quickly mobilized our agency team, our, our communications team, and, and put together a completely different message to put into the marketplace that was really about thinking about what is on people's minds right now, and it's about they need reassurance. And so, again, we were able to tap into what Ford Credit has done for decades upon decades with respect to putting programs in place to help our customers, keep them in, our, in their vehicles. We want to take that, that concern off of their minds. So that's where we built um, or we put together what we're calling our built to lend a hand platform. And it was all about number one, the first phase was about letting our Ford credit customers know if they are worried and, and they're concerned about making their payments, contact us. We will put programs together to help you. That's what we do. Phase two, we launched today, which is about knowing that while the demand is starting to, to kind of soften, there still are people that have to go to work. There still are people that are, needing to buy a new vehicle right now. And so we put together and announced today a program that is about, that is offering up to six months of payment relief. So for those people who need to do something now, we're putting programs in place that will help them. We're also, again, in our dealer support, putting, putting recommendations with respect to showroom and vehicle disinfecting process, supporting their, their e-commerce um, abilities, as well as supporting them with remote, pickup and delivery of vehicles for both sales and service. So again, it's like thinking again about what is on people's minds right now and making sure that we have programs and supports in place that can make that as easy as possible for them. Thank you, Lisa. Um, how, just out of curiosity, how fast did you guys manage to turn around that creative and how many days and sleepless nights did it take? Yeah, so it was, we, we started, we had our first, meeting, uh, briefing meeting with the agency on, I think it was Thursday at four o'clock and we had everything live on Monday um, and then, you know, trafficking through paid, owned and earned. And, and Rachel, you, you brought up a great point earlier about um, using existing footage, right? Because we can't go out and shoot something new. And so we were able to look at our, into our archives and get actual archival footage. And then also just using, you know, you don't, we had very simple um, content, but one, one spot was simply just a blue background and text on the screen. And then the other was actually drawing upon some of that archival footage. But again, it's just, it's just super on a screen. It's not VO, it's very simple, some music. Uh, so it was really an example of what you can do in a short period of time. And then obviously we had great um, partnership with 
um, with the networks in, in terms of like expediting clearance to get on air as quickly as possible. Thank you so much, Lisa. Rachel, I'm assuming I can see you get uncomfortable, so that means I have to move yeah. on. That's just my, my <laughs> couch, but yes, we're at time. Okay, cool. Um, just because we're at the uh, half hour and we wanna stick to what we said we were gonna do, I'm yeah. gonna take one question from the audience from Garrison Gibbons. I think it's a good question and I'd like any marketer on the phone to chime in. How are you refocusing your teams, particularly those that are working in areas that are most affected by this time? An example is your events team. Does anyone want to chime in on how you're maybe redeploying talent, like events, uh, in-store marketing? Hey, Rachel, it's Lou Pascal, so I can take that. Great. Hey, Lou. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. So uh, I don't think there's I don't think there's any magic bullet here, but that's exactly one of the things that we faced early on is that, you know, we have a fairly large experiential team that's really oriented towards the client side of our business. And we have a tremendous amount of marketing communications that we push out very similar to at least from Ford was just saying. The first thing we wanted to do was to really make sure that we had a set of filters around being frankly tone deaf, for lack of a better term. And experiential people are very good at the diplomatic side of marketing. And they have a great way of creating a bridge between what a marketer is trying to do and having empathy for what might be in the, the consumer's or the customer's head. So we actually put them together, a group of them together who volunteered uh, to scan all of our Marcoms and to make sure there wasn't anything that just seemed way off. Uh, I tweeted the other day about some unfortunate marketer who pushed out the 15 best tips for the, for, you know, flying the red eye for business. And I just was like, yeah, that shouldn't happen right now. <laughs> you know, that was a wasted, that was a paid media opportunity. So that's one of the things we're doing. Uh, and it's really also um, with social servicing, uh, another place that experiential people can really help out um, is to back up your social servicing team. You know, mm. Bank of America is all about continuity. We've seen these things before. A lot of people turn to us on social in a public way, and then we want to take them sort of offline and service them privately because we can have more in-depth conversations. And, you know, we're also thinking as the virus spreads, you know, what if we lose a part of our social servicing team? Will we, keep up with, will we be able to keep up with the increased volume? So, again, experiential people have a lot of the raw skills there that can really help out uh, and augment. Um, so we're doing, we're doing a lot of that. We're doing a lot of freeing up of capacity in anticipation of future need over the next several weeks. And I think most marketers are doing that. Yep. A lot of it is, intu is intuition. Yeah, we're, we're doing contingency planning at Micmac. We're making sure that every job can be done by another person. Um, so I do think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, thanks, Lou. Anda, who is next? Um, so Jamie, you're with JP Morgan. Um, and I saw you nodding your head as I was asking the questions. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, how work has felt on your side of the fence and has it felt more purposeful, less purposeful? Also, are you creating a lot more content? Are you creating content faster and how are you adapting for the, the need for that type of volume? Yes, to all of it. Um, so like to echo what John was saying, we're creating a lot of content as we always do, but it does feel faster. Um, and I think that to your point, that is because of a sense of purpose for a couple of different reasons. Um, so I'm from the private bank, so I'll speak first about what the private bank has felt that its purpose is in all of this. And then also I can talk a little bit about the larger JP Morgan Chase and how 
that purpose field and how kind of it's all connected together. Um, but, you know, as at the private bank, we do investments and, you know, holistic wealth management. So, you know, a lot of our clients might, um, be, of course, they're concerned about our views on the markets and we're commenting on what's happening in the markets all the time. Um, but they're also business owners um, or they work for, you know, startup companies or things like that. And they might have issues of, you know, that all businesses are facing now um, with this social distancing and kind of standstill of commerce as we know it really. And so how can we help them get through those times as well as the investment volatility of it? Um, so we do feel a strong sense of purpose to first of all say, you know, we're here for you. And we've had, you know, a lot of discussion internally on how to, what that messaging should sound like and how quickly can we get it out there and put it out there in multiple channels as well as having it come through our content and advice. Um, the, the other piece of it is as a bank, in this environment, our plans to help some of the, you know, small businesses out there who bank with Chase or, or Chase or, or, or Chase Infusions, you know, at Chase Time to get um, So, you know, there was an announcement, I think it was yesterday, all the days are blurring together, blurring together about, you know, some philanthropy that we've pledged to do over the short term um, around this to support personal health care institutions that they need and things like that. And then looking at that and then looking at the longer term, once this is passed, how this is passed, how this stimulates again. And raise a sense of purpose and responsibility as a firm to play a role and help and help lead that. And so we need to make sure that we through our marketing and our content are being consistent and sensitive to all sides of this. So back to the private bank, we're talking about markets and implications and we also want to talk about opportunities, like there's investments opportunities here if you, you know, know where to look for them, but it, does that come across as insensitive? Is this the right moment? Are, there, are people not ready to hear that? Um, so there's both sides of it. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is just we have in, incredible access to very good research and data. I mean, some of the government institutions and the hospitals who've really been involved in this are our clients. And so we feel a responsibility to help provide facts and insights that are really helpful to people during all of this in terms of how epidemics spread and really how important social distancing is and all of those things. So we've sort of been a voice of credible, reliable information just because we have access to it and we feel a sense of purpose and responsibility to provide that to our clients. So yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot of that and it's kind of been an exciting thing to be a part of. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. Do I have time for another question, Rachel? You're the bad cop. Uh, yes, you have uh, a minute and a half. Okay, sounds good. Jamie, just curious on your side, how are you guys thinking about the event marketing dollars? Are you redistributing any of that? And if so, where and how? I'm not close enough to budget to be able to tell you dollar for dollar how things are being redistributed, but I will say that we're doing a ton of webcast and client calls. So we've committed to doing them twice a week. Um, if not more so. So we've got a, we're doing um, email marketing every other day and on the off days we're doing client calls and webcasts. So, you know, there's been a ton of that and they've been, in spite of sometimes one hour's notice, they've been our best attended webcasts that we've done since Brexit. So um, there seems to be a lot of appetite for information and insights and probably reassurance. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. Okay, so we're going to move on to Tim 
uh, from Citrix. Tim is the CMO of Citrix. I know you have a tight window, so you just joined, um, and I know you only have 30 minutes, so I want to make sure that we get to you. Hi, Tim. Welcome. Hey, Anna. How are you? Uh, good. Good. Yeah. Now that we're having this conversation, I feel better. Uh, feels like we're more connected in a way, and I've looked better than I have in two weeks because I finally put makeup on, so I feel really good in that <laughs> one. Um, so, Tim, tell us a little bit about how this crisis has been rippling through the technology sector, and in particular, Citrix. Um, given what you guys do, what does it really me mean for your for your business? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, this situation is affecting us all and, you know, uh, our employees, our customers, our partners in the communities in which we live and work. Um, now, Citrix is in somewhat of a unique position as, you know, we, for the past 30 years, have been delivering solutions to support secure remote working. Uh, so, technologies that, uh, you know, really allow uh, companies to allow their employees to work wherever, whenever, access all their applications, all of their information securely. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've taken from this is we want to be authentic uh, and we want to be able to uh, be more of an advisor than a, uh, a seller. Uh, and you know, one of the key things uh, that we've found incredibly valuable that our customers have valued is uh, because of our lineage, you know, we practice what we preach. And so we have been really uh, over the past, just consistently, we've been testing remote work. We've been sending home entire groups. This isn't just recently, but uh, just to make sure the infrastructure is up and running. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, using our virtualization and digital workspace technologies from home. And so when we needed to kind of work shift you know, first, when it uh, when things occurred in China and Japan, we were able to move, not only get those folks home safely and keep them connected, but also move entirely workloads to other locations, which at that point in time were, were not as effective, um, as affected. Uh, obviously, now we're, we're almost on, interestingly, a, a 180, where some of our employees in China are beginning to go home. Um, are not home, going back into the office in limited uh, basis, and, and obviously the rest of us are working remotely, as you can see here. Um, and so we've really uh, used this as a platform to provide those be best practices, to also connect our customers. You know, I think a, a great example is um, the University of Sydney contacted us in, uh, in late January and said, hey, just in case, you know, we need to develop a contingency plan to keep our more than 14,000 students uh, and our staff connected throughout Asia. And within a week, we had them up and running and, and really turned them into an online um, university. Uh, and, and what I think the, the big lesson there that's become so prescient, I think, is a lot of the same investments and focus we're making today. We're very focused on crisis uh, management right now, crisis response as just as a, a culture. But ultimately, it's really about business readiness. They're already thinking about, gee, we now have a new way to reach potential students around the world or bring in potential new professors that we couldn't get before because of their location. So I think this is a real opportunity for companies to begin to think about, how do I be business ready? How do I use these same approaches, whether it's technology, whether it's policies, whether it's you know, work shifting, to, to actually um, uh, create new opportunities for our customers and for our own business. 
I really like that, Tim. I like the silver linings that are coming, that are shining through in the different responses here. Um, tell us a little bit from a marketing standpoint, what's been the biggest shift? Um, Lisa from Ford was sharing with us previously how they had to turn around an entire creative campaign for a new vehicle in the span of a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, what have you seen on your side? Um, any changes or has it all been more consistent? Uh, with the yeah, the, uh, despite we, we, we like to say it's business as usual, it is not business as usual. Uh, from a marketing perspective in a business-to-business -business environment, um, there were a number of things we needed to do. Uh, number one is just change our engagement model. I mean, we had already been investing very heavily to be much more digitally oriented, but we still supplemented that quite heavily with you know, in-person meetings, whether it's our executive briefing centers, whether it's our customer councils, and even uh, more recently, our, our big you know, customer event, you know, which was planned for Orlando in May. And we're moving that to a virtual, you know, a virtual uh, uh, session, but also in our tone, right? So when we think about you know, our focus is really around employee experience and allowing employees to do their best work wherever, whenever. And yes, that tends to line up with this, uh, this, this overall situation. However, we've put more emphasis, obviously, on business continuity and the business practices people. So, we, uh, so we've changed our programs, uh, programming a, a little bit. The last part, to be quite candid, is uh, we have been working very diligently on um, evolving our brand identity and, and doing a whole brand launch. Uh, we have made you know, largely the decision to put a pause, <laughs> thinking it's not the appropriate time, uh, both from a sensitivity standpoint uh, you know, but also from just uh, an attention standpoint, right? You know, it's the, uh, if the, yep. the rebrand uh, falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it. You know, yeah. <laughs> is it really yeah. a rebrand kind of thing? Yeah, well, it also uh, obviously might, might seem, uh, I guess, unaware of the larger situation if you're trying to push something completely new at the moment. So it makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you so much, Tim. I was, I'm going to move on to um, Alexa because I saw her nodding her head. Especially I'm here. When you said- uh, Alexa, guys. I almost, uh, I almost wore my Micmac uh, sweatshirt, I just want I to say, it. but it's dirty because I've been wearing it all week. I know. It's this a most comfortable biggest, sweatshirt. The biggest takeaway, especially if my co-founder is listening, who will not allow me to create notch swag, is that we need to create notch sweatshirts. Me not, yes. This is my biggest takeaway. Anyway, so Alexa. Anda, can we co-introduce Alexa? Yes! <laughs> okay, guys, if you, don't, if you don't know Alexa Christian, then you haven't paid attention to the advertising media because she was so ahead of the curve. She was one of the first podcasters. She created a property called Adlandia. With a co-host. With the co-host. <laughs> Who I think might be on the call as Laura well. Carrenti. Laura Carrenti. Laura Carrenti, giant spoon if she's in the house. And honestly, it took the advertising industry by storm. And mm. to my knowledge, like most MBA marketing programs have Adlandia on the curriculum. So it's an amazing podcast. I know we all are looking for content right now. So go check it out. It's coming back. Oh, maybe. In a month. Are you going to, is our, me and Rachel as the first episode, right? Done. Right. Um, <laughs> but she also, she has another job. Uh, and so I'll let, uh, before we dive in, because I actually think Alexa could answer really nicely one of the questions from the audience. So everyone, there's a Q&A function, uh, function in Zoom. Please submit questions there. 
We're going to be taking them. I'm going to take one now for the audience and give it to Alexa, which is about paid media. Mm -hmm. What is the role of paid media advertising in general during the time of crisis? Oh, it's critical. Full stop. Boom. You, we like have you, don't, do you don't think it's tone deaf? Like you no, can, just because okay. you're doing paid. So uh, I'll just tell you. So I'm, a, um, I'm leading a very interesting kind of non-obvious move for me. For, well, actually, let me back up. Thank you, Anda and Rachel. By the way, I didn't get a chance to, to co-interview oh, Alexa, okay. but anyway. So Alexa used to be at GE. <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, Alexa then uh, became close to almost every important person in the marketing industry and founder because the, she featured us together with Laura on Atlandia and um, in some way changed our lives. I know both Rachel and I always talk about the impact Atlandia and the podcast had on our business. In fact, I think we started working with Citrix, Tim, because of Atlandia, because someone on your team listened to that podcast and then you became a partner. And I think my, I think my Nestle clients are on and Nestle discovered Micmac because of Atlandia. There you so go. If Orchid awesome. is on the line, she's a listener. Orchid. We love you. Orchid's like one of our number one fans. I know. Orchid, I hope you're here. (laughs) So um, Alexa now runs marketing for Pearson. So you're in the educational space. So I think your perspective is going to be super interesting. Um, Tell us a bit about the paid media role. And then I also want to hear you talk a bit about the role of the education industry at a time like this. Well, it's kind of bananas. Okay. So thank you both. Thank you. This is awesome. And I'm so glad you're doing it. Not because I'm talking because we need to have this conversation. Um, Okay, so paid media, it is your right to play. It is your right to play. That doesn't mean that you are going to go run promotional advertising in a tone deaf way. You have to pay today to be seen. And I will tell you, it is so, and everybody talks about this, but I don't know if from a marketing standpoint, we actually follow it. So when your CEO says, shut it down, your CFO says, shut it down, we kind of go, but now actually is the most critical time. And it's how you position everything. So Pearson is a learning company. It was a totally non-obvious choice for me in my career. I would have, I was like entertainment technology. I would have probably never, ever gone over to an education company, but the opportunity, and we're seeing it right now, by the way. The opportunity was so huge for this 175-year-old brand. It's really a 175-year-old company to turn into a leading brand. And they have amazing assets. Tim, you probably know about them. Um, they have amazing assets. And, and one of the things I just, I told Anda I was going to be late because we just got off the phone. And actually, this is one of the conversations that we're having. Like you have to be out there, but you have to be out there. And I I think um, when I hopped on the phone, someone was saying this with a message that is valuable with a product that is valuable. And I think that we underestimate our intellectual property sometimes and what that intellectual property can do in another format, in a different environment, in a crisis. And so really getting For us, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, education has like become one of the biggest hot topics right now. Um, For us, it's just become, it feels like a no brainer, but really instead of doing marketing kind of traditionally, it's about how do you deploy products? How do you get to customers and consumers in a way um, where 
in a way that's fast and they need it, but you're also helping them get through something that could be lasting for months, right? So, the, I mean, to me, paid, full stop, do it. We have to do it. We have to do it. So how do you see the, the education industry evolving as a result of this crisis? Um, tell us a bit about the, the role that you feel you need to play. That I need to play? Pearson needs well, to play? Um, I think, so Pearson, so Pearson is involved in a lot of different parts of the education industry. Traditionally, it's been a publisher of textbooks, right? But they are also the 50th largest school district in the U.S. K through 12 that's all online. This is a massive need right now. So I was on the Axios call this morning. Did anyone do the live stream of Axios? It was awesome, Sarah Fisher. And Jim Vandehei at one point said, every parent is becoming a homeschool parent and they have no idea what to do. And so what we're doing, instead of deploying, when we talk about paid, like going back to the first question, when we talk about that, it's about us getting to parents and students and kids because we also do higher, higher ed education. So university colleges, we are massively embedded in universities and colleges all over the world, by the way, with courseware, with products, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's about making sure that access is actually happening, that, they, that things are accessible. So one of the things that we just did was we partnered also to like pump the distribution channels. We partnered with our third party distri uh, distributors, which a lot of partners are doing, but we released like our catalog of digital books because what happened in the U S especially um, is that a lot of kids were on spring break and they were told, don't come back to your campus. Like go, go somewhere else. You can't come back. So like their belongings, their books, their this, their that, I mean like everything. So it's been really critical in terms of looking at an industry that has been traditionally traditional. Like education is, this inst is, is the most institutional, right, of institutional. Um, and so I think we're going to see a massive shift This is not temporary. I think we're going to see a massive shift in digital or virtual learning. The biggest challenge is, is that the, the, we're also, the other side of this um, is that we're living in the kind of the post-truth and the post-trust. And so there's also a flood of uh, pirated materials, um, uh, incorrect materials that are out in the world, like a flood. A flood and they're in places that you think would have a lot of um, uh, that you would have a lot of trust about but they're they're everywhere and so that's terrifying actually when you think about it um, and so this world of kind of disinformation misinformation fake news deep fakes etc I think it's actually critical that the brands and the companies education or not that have real trust real quality they're actually standing up and they are talking and they are getting consumers the right the right story whether it's about their brand or the environment that their brand and their company are living in love that alexa thank you so much really appreciate thank you guys it. you can always count on alexa to bring the passion um so moving on to lou because he was texting me saying he really wants to take that paid media question so let's start with that paid media question Lou, tell us a bit about the role of paid media what what should it and shouldn't it do during a crisis so Anda, thank you i appreciate you responding to my text and i just you know i 
for context, I've been in the paid media space for about three decades, probably a lot longer than most of you have been in marketing. Real quick, Lou, let's just tell people where you work and what you do, just for those who have joined recently. Uh, I work for Bank of America, and uh, I run the global comm strategy, media investment, some other things. Um, the reality is that we are in a moment of reappraisal on a global scale, the likes of which we've never seen before. So I think with the exception of your significant other, your kids, your family, and your pets, you are reappraising everything in your life. And I think that's one sort of plank in the argument as to why paid media has a role. The next plank in the argument, and most of you have probably seen this data, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to work with folks to, to find it, is that there is a lot of empirical evidence that companies that invested in the last economic downturn, 2008, 2009, um, not only reduced the trough that they went through significantly, they also greatly accelerated the climb out of that trough. And it kind of takes me back to an axiom I learned from my first employer. I worked for a small family-owned winery called Ernest and Julio Gallo, and Ernest Gallo was fond of sayings, and one of his most uh, frequent sayings was, you must be present to win. With the reappraisal that's going on now in people's lives, with an understanding that those brands that show up in that moment of stress and reassure people that are present will win in the long run. So it's not just about, is there a short-term economic opportunity to grow my business? That's frankly sort of a tone deaf question. It's more of a, hey, let's reassure our customers, our clients and our prospects that we're here, that we're solid, that we are here to serve and enable you. And I think that is a unique opportunity for most of the people in financial services on this call. At the end of the day, we enable whatever it is people want to do. Uh, three weeks ago, that might have been a, you know, a trip around the world. And three weeks from now, that might want to be able to be assured that my kids are going to get to college. So we need to just say we're here for you. And we need people to hear from us in this moment and reassure them. It's an interesting moment for institutions. Our government has done some things right in response to this and some other things that perhaps they could have done more quickly. And I think it's eroded confidence to a degree that I haven't experienced in my life. It is an opportunity for Chase, for Wells Fargo, for Bank of America, for those institutions that are rock solid and have seen this before to step up and say, guys, you know what? We're gonna be here for you. We're gonna get through this. We've got your back. And I'm really energized about those companies that are communicating out what they're doing with when the banking industry we call this forbearance and forbearance in layman's terms is merely just understanding, you know what, we kind of know what you're going through. We've got good judgment. We might be able to ease this requirement or reduce this, um, you know, interest rate or whatever it might be. Uh, and I really feel that unlike 2008, 2009, when all of us were sort of late to the party, uh, we're all stepping up now. And, and I think that's another one of the silver linings. Uh, but I really, do, I, I would encourage you to think about paid media as an opportunity to be present in people's lives, not as an opportunity to sell product. You're selling a relationship and it will bear fruit for many years to come if you do it right now. Don't retreat, don't turn into a turtle, don't pull your money out, encourage your leadership to maintain and maybe even accelerate the investment in these troubling times. And Lou, any change in terms of, I mean, to the extent that you can share, um, any change in terms of how and where you deploy the money during a time like this? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, on, on every level, you know, first of all, what are the messages, right? The messages are essentially about, you know, in a Maslow's hierarchy of need, you've got, we're here, we're open. Uh, you know, some local communities have mandated that all retail closes and people get nervous when they see their banking center close. Well, unlike 1929, we've all got these things attached to the banking centers called ATMs and they're well stocked. And when the, when the you know, local community says, okay, you've got to close your financial center, you know, we want to communicate out, for example, that we're doubling the number of servicing trips to the local ATMs. You can deposit in these. Also, you know, there's a shift mix opportunity around mobile banking. You know, most of us in this call have been using mobile banking for 10 years, um, but some people have been reluctant. And now this might be an opportunity for them to say, oh, I can do everything I need to in the mobile app. And so that shifts away from broad scale to maybe targeted channels because I want to give that message to customers, right? Um, I think you're still using broad scale channels emotionally to create a story that, you know, sort of recognizes that this is a moment where people are really, you know, struggling. You need to be empathetic to that. You know, we start out with, um, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we've been through a few of these things before. The founder of Bank of America, when it was called Bank of Italy, AP Giannini, stood in front of a burning building in San Francisco in uh, 1904 and was handing out $500 in cash to merchants whose shops had just been destroyed by the San Francisco earthquake. So all of us have those stories, all the banking stories. It's a matter of starting with that combination of we empathize with you because we're going through this in our personal lives too, and it's unprecedented. But we've also got you know, these fortress balance sheets that are going to be here to help you. Some of those are broad scale messages to really inspire folks. And then some of the other messages I talked about are much more targeted about what we can do now to service your needs, um, you know, as this thing continues to evolve. So I want to turn quickly to uh, John from Brockle, who is your colleague, Lou. He's only dialed in through the phone. Tell us, tell us a little bit about, just real quick, what you do and what your job has, uh, how your job has changed over the last uh, week and a half. It sounds like you're on the front line there responding to everything. Absolutely. And uh, I'm so glad I didn't have to follow Alexa because her energy is so high and I loved it, man. I fed off that today. I just, I can work through 10 o'clock tonight, so 11, okay 12, follow, whatever it takes. It's okay that you follow Lou. His energy wasn't that great. <laughs> no, no, Lou, I love his energy too. Um, hey, um, Alexa mentioned the Axios um, uh, event today. And I don't know if she saw, if she's on audio, but if she saw the um, video we did about the $100 million investment, um, very proud as Lou uh, um, is as well, that we are investing um, to help create some relief. We're taking action. And I, you know, we've, the, the greatest thing for me is that I'm seeing um, everyone understand the value of advice and guidance um, in the last couple of days. Um, we're, we have to tell people what we're doing in the communities, uh, partnerships with Khan, the $100 million investment that Brian announced yesterday. Um, and as Lou said, we have to talk about the safety and stability, not only of the markets and the banking system, but what we're doing in our financial service centers and how we're helping our employees and our customers get by. Um, but there's a whole trough of advice and guidance for people across the board who are looking for answers, whether they're individual consumers, whether they're investors looking for guidance on the, the market volatility, um, whether they're influencers who are trying to learn more about Bank of America's role in supporting the local communities. Um, the story, as 
uh, Alexa said, has to be authentic and it has to be education minded. And this is where people are starting to see the value of rapid response content across the bank. Um, and you know, thanks to Lou, we're gonna have the opportunity like we did yesterday and this morning to promote more of this content. And I think it's what the, it, you know, you always say this, the Nash team always says this, it's, it's really the headline that captures people. It's the answer that, of the questions that they have. We have a partnership with Lou's team, the SEO team, and they're just feeding us with the, the, all of the questions that people are organically searching for so that we can make sure there's incredible value in what we're going to market um, with over the last you know, couple of days and over the next couple of hours um, as the weeks and months come go by. So um, just feel like we have an opportunity, we have an obligation, we're accountable for this. This is our time. Thank you so much, John. That was great. Um, really appreciate that. And I don't know if you mentioned, but John runs content for Bank of America across the board. So um, he is a very wise man. I always enjoy talking to him. Thank you so much, John. Um, we're going to jump over to Angela Matusik, who's the who runs brand and content for HP Inc. And she's actually uh, very close right now to John from Brockle. I hear that they're neighbors. In, uh, <laughs> I know. Maybe we're we're more than six feet apart, though. Oh I will yeah. Say that. Good. That is good. That seems <laughs> safe. Um, Angela, tell us a little bit about how things are going at HP Inc. during a time like this. You've obviously there's a lot going on anyway at HP. Yeah. You know, um, it's. First, thank you. I've been taking notes. You've been seeing me writing things down as all of you are talking because, you know, everything you're saying is so relevant um, that I want to share it with my colleagues and also the people that are helping us tell stories. Um, but, you know, things are just changing so much. I feel like the landscape is very um, unstable, obviously, every day, every hour. Um, today is Thursday, and it feels like Monday was a lifetime ago in some ways for all of us. Um, I sit in the corporate communications team. My role is very much about corporate brand identity and purpose. So all of these things that we've been talking about um, are sort of what we think about all the time. It's very much a part of our DNA. Uh, but we are, we've radically shifted everything. I mean, we've already been in a very busy time at HP. Um, in some ways, this is sort of like what we're built to be doing. Like we're built to be thinking like this. Like, and so as stressful as it might be and as trying as it is, I, I do feel like I can already feel the company and my colleagues and everybody just stepping up to the plate because um, being led with a sense of purpose is just like what our company was founded on and we're a technology company. And, you know, there have been runs on toilet paper, but there are also runs on PCs and printers and, and it's hard to get them and everybody needs them. And we are a company that can help with that. so many things, not just that, but other even incredible like sci-fi level technology things that are happening in like 3D manufacturing or microfluidics and testing with the viruses. And there's so much happening. Um, it's almost as a storyteller, overwhelming because you do want to tell so much of the story, but you know, I think we need to be very cognizant as everybody has said about what we say and when we say it, what is our role? What, is, what do people want to hear from HP right now? And um, we're reassessing everything. Well, you know, something that I was thinking about is Alexa was talking and, and you're talking, Anja, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how do you tell the story of how you can help 
at a time like this without sounding opportunistic or without sounding like you're taking advantage of a really horrible situation. Um, so I'm curious, how do you how do you think about what stories to pick right now, given that there's so many coming at you? Well, you know, it, it's something that we are talking about constantly. Um, and it's funny, you know, I actually have been using our notch tool to help um, earlier yeah. this week. Yeah, we pr we promoted some. I didn't even um, ask you for that. I know, Beautiful but question. I did, I did. But we we were promote we promoted some old content that we had because we always write about remote working. I mean, it's part of what we do and work life balance. These are like very um, consistent subjects for us. So we rose some old content up to the top. We didn't really do much to dust it off, but just to sort of have something where we're like, this is relevant now, this story. And it's interesting because I can see in our uh, sentiment ratings that it's actually the old content. People can probably tell that we've dusted it off and pushed it back out. Um, so I think it, it we're be, I think it, the time is begging for a reassessment of everything. Um, we're still going forward with a lot of crucial stories that we're working on. Um, we have a lot of really great things that we were doing around sustainability efforts, um, recycling, closed loop um, recycling, manufacturing, education programs. There's so much happening um, and stories that are like in the pipeline. And I really hope that we can still continue to tell them. And we have to be thinking about when is the right time to tell those stories now? Because we will find ourselves in a few months from now when people will want to turn their gaze to something else. And we wanna make sure that we're ready to fill those holes when the time comes. The other thing I'm telling people about the stories that we're hearing as um, you know, our response to this crisis is unfolding is we don't have to do this now in some ways. Like we're very good at telling, we can tell the story after the conclusion happens. So we have a whole bunch of engineers and scientists that are on the front lines figuring stuff out, working with the you know, organizations, the CDC, with, with universities. And I'm just like, don't even, to tell them that we're interested in a story right now. Like they should just go, you just have everybody do their jobs, solve, you know, save the world. And then once we do, we'll come out and we'll tell a story about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Angela, thank you so much. Um, you embody this incredible intersection between a true creative and a storyteller and a data-driven marketer. And if, if there's anything that comes out of that story, that's what the main takeaway. So thank you so much for that perspective. Oh, thank you, thank Great. you for having me. Great to sort of virtually meet all of you too. Yeah, uh, we'll next, the, time, next time we're doing this with wine. Yes. I, I think Lou Pascalis, uh, I saw some wine, unless that was <laughs> cranberry juice, I'm not sure, but I think it was wine. Rachel, back to you. Yeah, so it's 5.30, which means we're gonna take a question from the audience. So folks, there's a Q&A button. Feel free to submit questions. I'm gonna call on our mutual pal, Stacy Minero. Stacy is a leader at Twitter. And so she wants to know, what's the best way for a platform partner to support brands? Is it insights? Is it need states? Is it help with creative production? How can the platform start to help companies? Who wants to chime in? And a few of you can, if you have an answer. I'll tell you, for us, uh, it's Lou from Bank of America. Sorry, Rachel. Um, I'll just jump in. We're running into the same issue that I heard a number of people bring up on this call, which is like, how do I get comms out right now? Video comms. How do we get messaging out when our agency is dealing with production resource constraints 
You know, the, the production houses are uh, working from home. There's specialized equipment often. Um, Stacy, actually, now I know why you asked the question. When I think about it, we're using Art House because they have a distributed creator network where we can go to them, and their network is building creative today business as usual so that there's nothing different. Her creators work from home already, and we can get stuff that has an audience attached to it that's going to go through our governance process very quickly because we've used Art House in the past. And just looking at our, our platform partners as extensions of our creative resources right now from the value of basically production integrity and speed to market has really helped us get a lot of messaging moved through. So, I, I mean, that's sort of an obvious answer for me. I'm curious what others think. I think we're going to turn it over now to my colleague, Gabby at WW. Did we lose you, Gabby? There you are. No, I'm here. I turned off my camera because I realized I've been sitting in this chair for like two hours and needed a good stretch and yeah. I thought no one needed to be privy to that. No one needed to see that. Well, so folks, Gabby is the VP of Performance Marketing at WW, WW formerly known as Weight Watchers. And uh, I'm excited to chat with you for a few. So, you know, Gabby, a, a big part of WW's business uh, has been the physical centers. So I'm curious how you guys are managing that transformation uh, in real time right now. Yeah, it's been um, a really huge uh, undertaking and a real moment for our business to make sure that we can support our millions of members who rely on going to a studio every week for their supportive community and their tips to stay on track. How can we do that in a, a world in which retail and physical locations are not available? So we have spent the last couple of days transitioning completely to a virtual workshop experience. We've trained thousands of coaches and guides around the world in the 12 markets that we operate in to access a virtual workshop through our app. And actually, Zoom is the mechanism. So hmm. uh, it's been a pretty, pretty tremendous experience. I would say this has been something that has been in our product roadmap for some time. Hmm. But as my CEO would say, and Rachel, you know her well, never waste a good crisis. And so we That's have just a lesson for business. It really is. Yeah. And so, you know, first and foremost, we want to be taking care of our members and ensuring that at a time when people's health and wellness is at the, the top of, you know, the forefront of their experience, how can they have almost continuity of care, if you will? How can they maintain the connection they have with their coach, with the other members in their group? We're, we're just trying to give all the members the tips and tricks they need to feel healthy right now when we know. Um, health is top of mind for everyone, mind, body, and spirit, frankly. Got it. Um, so wellness has been a huge platform that you guys have been building the last two years. You just wrapped up the Oprah WW tour. In the last week, it's been explosive to see all of the at-home live video, streaming video, wellness that's coming to market underground and from big companies. How is WW trying to, I don't want to say capitalize on this, but really build upon this foundation that's happening? Yeah, again, I think that this has been a real uh, cause for acceleration. Plans we already have and product offerings we already provide to our members every day. How do we just amplify, amplify, amplify? Um, and so I heard some of the other panelists talk about insight-driven content creation and partnership with platforms to get that done. You know, we are really keeping our eye on what our members are asking us for, be it at our 
call center and social through search insights, through Pinterest trends, you know, what we're hearing on Twitter, what we're seeing on Facebook. We're not on TikTok, but we can talk about that after. Um, and just making sure that we're providing all the utility that you could possibly need. Is it, you know, recipes at home using pantry staples? Is it low point meals you can create for your family? Um, how to cook with your kids? Um, is it at home workouts using, again, uh, your kids? Could they be your weights, you know, or canned food or using just your own body weight to get a good workout in if, you know, gyms are closed? And then also meditations and breathing exercises and gratitude moments. How do we just, you know, help provide some routine in a time what feels anything but? And so we have really accelerated content creation on all of those fronts providing our members and, you know, people in the WW family as much support as we can. And it's been an incredible experience. Hmm. Uh, my final question for you. So you have a food and grocery business and, and it's something that's been growing. I'm, you know, I work across so many grocery clients and I've seen insane growth these past two weeks. Yeah. What are you guys now doing about your grocery business? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think everyone on this call, I see 387 participants have probably either made an online purchase or been to a grocery store <laughs> several times in the last week. And our business is, is no exception. So we are really shifting a lot of efforts to make sure our e-commerce, our direct-to-consumer business has no interruptions to supply chain. Um, we want to make sure, again, that we have all the products and um, be it kitchen tools or just frankly indulgent snacks that are you know friendly to our plan, making sure we have them available. We've been providing discounts. We've been lowering shipping thresholds. We have been um, just really wanting to make sure that our members can feel like they can stay on plan and they have some control in this moment. Um, there's a lot of fluctuation in Amazon right now, so mm -hmm. we're really grateful to have a direct-to-consumer platform. And then um, we have so many licensing partners that are in the supermarkets as well. And again, it's just trying to stay on top of supply chain. Mm. No concern. Well, no concern. Yeah. Well, thank you, Gabby. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people on this call already have the WW app on their phone. So it's amazing to see how fast you're moving. Awesome. And if you don't, you can join now for 50% off. <laughs> there you go. Ayanda, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. Sure. Um, so we're going to jump in to talk to Leah uh, from Qualcomm. And I was just reflecting as I was looking at you, Leah, you're, you're based in San Diego. Uh, JVB, as we call him, John from Brockle is based in New Jersey. Angela is also based in New Jersey. Christina is based in San Francisco. She's from Salesforce. And I've wanted to introduce all of you for so long um, because I feel like you are all at the forefront of really moving brand and moving content through storytelling. And so I would love to hear from you, Leah, how, how has this crisis impacted the way you guys think about your purpose as a company? Um, and how have the stories that have come out of Qualcomm changed as a result of it, or how will they change going forward? Well, first of all, hi, everyone. I'm really, really thrilled to meet all of you virtually and to hear you. I'm learning a ton, and I'd love to do more of these. So that's my call to action to you, Anda. I every think week. this is We're an amazing every week be doing it and sharing and I mean I took notes and I'm taking it back to our team it's so relevant to hear from you so thank I, you I'm, I'm not uh, even joking. I was texting with uh, Josh Golden from AdAge and we agreed via text and I'm going to call him out publicly that we're going to do one together next week so 
Stay tuned. Josh, you didn't text me? He didn't text you. Okay. Yeah, he didn't text you. But you can, you can join too. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Leah, back to you. That's okay. Um, I think you brought up a, a purpose uh, and how we're looking at the purpose, brand, brand, brand purpose and just the company purpose today. So just for everyone on the call, I had a brand globally and that in our organization, we have content marketing as well as brand management, campaigns, advertising, and paid media. So all different components and all require answers as to how we, uh, we drive this into the market today. But the purpose of the company at the very core, and I think it's more important than today than ever to recognize it. It's this unknown brand. It's a company 35 years old that most people don't know about, but they carry it in their hands everywhere. Our technology in the hands of billions, because at the end of the day, what we've designed is we created the connectivity technology, the wireless technology that could not have been more relevant today where everybody is trying to stay connected to each other, to uh, their loved ones, to their friends. We're literally relying on this technology on our mobile devices and wireless communications and you know, 4G and soon to be 5G is becoming even more relevant, not because Qualcomm sells it or develops it, but because it does good for the people. This is the brand for the people and it truly needs to express itself in that way and continue to be uh, bringing these technologies to people across the world to be able to connect. So I'm, I'm very, very much interested on how we at Qualcomm will turn this into an opportunity to really bring people closer together, to bring them what they need to communicate in the dire time of need. Um, the, other, the other part I'm really contemplating, and it may not be a marketing necessarily approach, but it is just human universal approach. And I think that's what companies can do. And that's what I'd like our teams and our storytelling to do more of right now in this time. One is that as we turn on television, as we turn on news, we hear a lot of messaging that creates static. It's, you know, the words like dire, you know, doom and gloom, disaster, pandemic. I mean, these are, if you did a word cloud today and you, uh, you looked at what's going on, these are the things that are, are fed into people's minds every day as they go to sleep, they go to sleep with that in their minds. It is really disruptive to the mental state, to the capacity of people to work remotely even. The companies and the brands have really an opportunity from all of our sides to really create more optimistic message, obviously without being tone deaf. But I think the optimism and the hope will prevail over time. We will get out of it. We know we will. This will pass. But how we help all of us and our brand, uh, we have responsibility. I think this is where we need to step back and think about what is our responsibility as a company, as a brand, to communicate to our consumers and our customers. And uh, at the end of this, yes, we need to continue business. We need to have business continuity because it's good not only for for the world, it's good for the employees. We need to continue hiring. Our company is continuing to reinforce the message of hiring. More important than ever is to help people stay alive economically, stay on their feet. And so everything we can do to communicate that message of uh, support, not necessarily uh, optimism relative to this is a great thing that's happening, but there is positive in all this and we need to find it. I think at the brand level, that's what I'm grappling with. That's what I'd like our company to think more about and stay closer to. And of course, uh, there are things that we're putting in place in terms of changes, right? So uh, we have a group meeting in half an hour, actually 15 minutes, essentially around that. How do we communicate? 
how do we use channels? What do we say? What do we not say? I think that those are things we're still working through. I don't think we've, we've landed fully on our either content strategy, but we're certainly shifting how we're thinking about being measured, being sensitive, uh, yet continue our business running because it's important for humanity. And I believe it's important that we continue hiring people and giving them jobs. So that's kind I, of a... I love, the, I love the positive energy that's coming out of what you're saying. I actually, one new idea that um, I was just digesting as you were talking, you know, the, the news cycle is, and, and the media companies are, are addicted to being popular, which means that they're going to put out messages into the world that, are going to get engagement, not necessarily that are going to be optimistic, right? And bring hope. Um, and maybe it is on the storytellers on the brand side to bring that perspective. Maybe that is something that we take away and all try to put out of there in the world, a bit more optimism and hope uh, as we navigate through these times. Thank you, Leah. That's an awesome nugget to take away. Um, so I'm going to bring it to Christina. Um, Christina, you um, are a true creative and born storyteller. Um, you spend the majority of your career at uh, 20th Century Fox and other creative organizations before jumping over to Salesforce. Tell us a bit about what you do and tell us about what Salesforce is doing to help um, the world in a situation like this. Of course, we all know about Salesforce's commitment to doing good. Um, how are you guys putting actions behind the words that, that you've been saying for so long? Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, double down on what Leah just said, um, but I'd like to build on that and just say that, and you and I talk about this a lot, I believe it is our responsibility as people who own so many platforms to be mindful of the stories we tell all the time. Um, there's enough fear-mongering going out um, on a daily basis that what a beautiful chance we have to share positivity. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I work at Salesforce. We walk this talk every day. You know, Mark Benioff, the business of businesses doing well and business is the greatest platform for change. I think that we're seeing this um, specifically in this time as corporations are really stepping up where there's a lack of leadership in other areas without getting political. Um, you know, it's kind of, I think, I think I've been listening to so many incredible marketers on this call. I'm really inspired. Um, what I wanted to share was, you know, I, I had my all hands today with my team. Um, I have a team of storytellers and how do you keep them engaged? Um, the first thing to do is when you have a team of so many creatives is to consider that creatives are sensitive, right? Let's give a minute to let them, um, I'm putting myself firmly in that one, but I wanted to give my team a permission to take a break. Um, you know, a lot of us don't work from home on a regular basis and don't really understand how to work from home. Um, you know, I realized like two days in a row, I'm a party on top, you know, a disaster on, or party on the bottom. I don't know, wherever my pajama bottoms are that you can't see right now is what's happening here but I brush my teeth to join this esteem panel. <laughs> I wash my hair. We're all good. That's about <laughs> I just, you know, like they don't, they don't know. Um, I also was concerned that, you know, I live in San Francisco and um, there's a lot of people that uh, beyond, you know, there's a lot of messaging around kids, but I'm also worried about the people who live by themselves and making sure that they're not feeling alone. Um, I ran my all hands. Basically, I started off as a, a dragonfly. 
I think that in these moments, like we need to give some levity to our teams. They need to remember that, you know, we are not um, invincible either. Uh, I think it's important for us to be as vulnerable with our teams as with anybody else. And of course, um, bringing us to um, Salesforce, you know, we're launching a series called Leading Through Change. Um, uh, again, my thoughts on thought leadership is I'm exhausted by it on a, a daily basis, people talking about what we should do. Um, I'm much more interested in highlighting action leadership. And uh, this series with um, Mark Benioff is going to be highlighting people who are doing, who are giving back. I'm incredibly inspired by all of the conversations in this call. Um, I agree that at some point we're going to have to go back to business as usual. And people need to know that business and life is at some point going to go back to usual. But in this point right now, can we take a leadership position and share positivity? Every time I see someone doing something incredible, giving back, sharing, I, I love it. I would love you know, piling on on the other conversations, you know, how can we leverage these social platforms to give back? Um, you know, uh, we have a chief philanthropy officer. I asked her this question. She's going to participate in a live series for me um, on, you know, creating a, um, you know, a list of tools that people can understand. I don't know about everybody else on this call, but I get anxiety knowing so much is going on. There's the small businesses. There's the people that work at the small businesses. I come from Los Angeles. A lot of my friends are waiters. <laughs> you know, there's the big artists and then there's the artists that support that artist and the artists behind that artist. You know, it, it's how can we give back um, to them? Um, as far as our messaging, I think you'll see our tone has changed. We're being much more um, empathetic uh, and showing empathy uh, for those that are struggling with this. Um, we are mixing it in with some helpful, and I feel everybody on this call, you know, we are a technology company, so we're trying to uh, walk that fine line between talking about um, how to give back and how to use our tools because uh, Salesforce is making a lot of tools available for free um, and supporting small businesses so that they can keep their businesses running because that's, you know, beyond the enterprise, the small businesses are the, uh, a lot of the heart of our, our, our communities. Um, how do we give some quick tutorials on how to work from home? Uh, we're a company that celebrates our success through the success of our customers. We're taking a small moratorium on joint marketing with our customers to allow them to focus on what's most important to them and creating space for them to raise their hand at a later date to let us know, uh, you know, if there's things that they want to share because some people do feel better in sharing and having a conversation and feeling more connected. But again, you're used to seeing Salesforce, you know, highlighting our customers, you're going to see a lot more of our executives. We have an executive that I am in awe of that works here at Salesforce. It's Bill Patterson. Um, he leads uh, our B2B and he believes that technology is in service of and we want to make sure that that messaging is coming out clear so that um, now more than ever is important for people to understand that technology should be in service of. It's nothing that you should be afraid of. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Very beautiful and personal and professional and everything. So thank you for wrapping us up. Thank I think you. Rachel's going to take a couple of questions for all of us to try to answer now. Yeah. So uh, I'm blown away. We started with a thousand RCPs. We had 700 people tune in at one point. And this is a, this has been two hours, which is wild. Mm -hmm. And 328 people are still engaged. So thank you guys. I mean, clearly 
the content, the conversation today uh, is really resonating with everyone. I'm going to pick two more questions and then we're going to wrap up because I'm sure everyone wants to get a glass of wine. So Kimberly Gardner, she's the CMO of Mitsubishi. Kim, if you're still here, a wonderful partner. And she has a, a really great question that I'm sure a lot of folks on the line are trying to navigate. She's curious how others are grappling with retailers or in our case, car dealerships who are dropping their paid media at a time when brands still need to be visible and relevant. So um, I wish Renata was still on the line, but uh, I think I'll represent the voice of my clients, which you know are all consumer products. I'd say in the last two weeks, I've noticed this major trend, uh, which is that I've seen brands take dollars out of trade media and put it back into their control, national digital media, to amplify their own messaging. You know, one of the key things that we're doing for our partners is ensuring that if a customer clicks on an ad, they only end up on a product detail page where the item is in stock. So marrying yeah. media to inventory, big thing. One of the things, and I know that Ford is doing this and you'll be seeing more from us as well is instead of pausing buys, it's the opportunity to amplify positive messaging. Just, you know, like the fact that instead of business as usual, using this paid media to advise people on like tips or how to give back or, what's important, uh, an opportunity to break through the clutter of uh, the media that's telling us we're all gonna die tomorrow. Any of that is always a, a welcome reprieve for me to see as well. Um, and I, I forgot to say this, and I, I know Anda's gonna shush me, is um, I used the Notch Competitive tool to make sure that the content that we're pushing out is not duplicative of what everybody else is saying at the same time. I think it's important for us, like we all have all these channels, we're cross-pollinating. Um, the more that we can help with giving additional content as opposed to just the same stuff that everybody else is saying, I think is valuable. Thank you so much, Christina. And of course, I'm not gonna shush you, that's great. <laughs> uh, I'll Never. just say real quick that, uh, just because we made our platform free to anyone who's dealing with crisis right now, we're actually gonna send out reports, competitive reports about all industries and how they're responding to COVID to all the people who attended um, as a follow-up to this. So hopefully it's gonna help a bunch of folks. Um, Lou, did you wanna jump in and say something? Just checking in. No, I just wanna actually thank you guys. I, I, um, uh, this was really valuable and I thought I was gonna dial in for 15 minutes and I couldn't tear myself away. I think so many people shared so much really valuable content. This is a leadership moment, and we are all leaders of teams on this call. And how we show up and how we respond to what's going on, how we take the opportunity. I love that someone shared, never waste a good crisis. We are in a moment of reappraisal. Our teams need us to lead. The future can be found in our intuition more than it can be found in the data right now. We need both to win, but trust your instinct. And really, you know, this is a moment to be present and to provide a, a, a calm, confident voice, which others will be inspired by. And it's a great opportunity for marketing. It's a great opportunity for our agency partners as well. Um, we, we need to be the voice of reason amid the chaos. And I think we are well poised to do it. And this call, I think, gave everyone a lot of inspiration. Thank you so much, Lou. That's like, I, we couldn't have said it better, oh. better me and Rachel, right? Uh, honestly, I think we should maybe end it there because he said it perfectly. Yes. I mean, to to summarize this call, Anda, um, I don't know exactly what you took away because obviously we're here and we'll, we'll call each other immediately after. Yeah. But uh, 
I'm inspired. You know, we, we hand selected these folks to speak, but there are so many incredible marketers on the phone and we're going to create more forums for more voices. But in a nutshell, like we as an industry need to keep business as usual to protect jobs of our community. And I think that sentiment was shared with everyone here. Um, and there's a way to keep spending and keep investing in your brand that's actually meaningful for the overall business community. And thank you all for participating. I hope you have a great evening. You're going to hear from Anda and I tomorrow with follow-ups. Notch uh, is making their tool free for everyone that is in crisis comms. Micmac is making free creative audits for e-com. We're here to help. Uh, again, you know where to reach us, Anda at notch.it, Rachel at micmac.tv. Uh, and for Forbes, who's on here, I hope you're proud of us. You brought us together. And this was an amazing, amazing experience. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel, for co-hosting. Thank you to all the co-hosts as well for helping us just inspire everyone and just put out a positive message in the world. If I took away one thing from all of this, it's how important our roles are and how important this industry is now more than ever because we have the power to change the message that's getting deployed out there. Um, and to the extent that we can put out positive positivity and hope, I, I really think we all should. So thank you. I'm walking away from this with so much energy. I feel like I haven't had this much energy in weeks. So thank you all and hopefully we'll get together soon. Bye. Thanks, bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in again to hear from more great business leaders as we all navigate COVID-19 together. This podcast is brought to you by Notch and Micmac, two of the fastest growing enterprise software companies working with Fortune 1000 brands. Stay safe and healthy. That was today's conversation on pros and content. I really hope you enjoyed that message of hope that we heard from some of the leading brands in the world. The thing I love the most that's going to stay with me is this idea that during a time of crisis, when media companies and news outlets are spreading fear and anxiety by just telling us what's happening in the world, it is the responsibility of brands to bring those messages of hope, inspiration, and value back to us to really help us all get through it together. At Notch, we are working really hard to make sure that we're keeping not only our customers, but the entire industry really synced up on what content is going out there from a COVID standpoint and really doing audits across the board to understand what is every industry and every company saying and doing when it comes to COVID. If you're interested in learning more and staying on top of all of that data, just go to knotch.com slash COVID, notch.com slash COVID. Once again, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay healthy and sane, and I'll see you next week.